0: Hello folks, welcome back and Happy New Year and welcome to 2023. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon set a PB at your next race, or just keep turning up until you're in your hundreds. Each of these elements has real significance. In the pursuit of amazing anything is possible goals, it can be easy to lose sight of what's really important. The simple basics of life that we take for granted. The joy of being able to walk out in the sunshine and enjoy nature, or just riding your bike for fun with friends. Nathan Ford, Our guest today was an elite age group triathlete, used to finishing at the pointy end of races and posting times that most of us can only dream of hitting, until something happened during a race in Scotland and his whole life changed. In this conversation, Nathan and I are going to chat about what exactly did happen and how his life has been since. It's a hard hitting interview and Nathan is very open and frank. We do touch on the topics of having dark moments and suicidal thoughts. If you feel impacted by the subjects, which may be triggering for you, please remember that self-care and your own well-being is the most important thing. Okay, let's hear from Nathan. Hey, welcome to the show, Nathan Ford. Hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. It's my pleasure, Nathan. Thank you so much. For coming onto the show, and you know, to be quite frank, as I'm sure we're going to get into in a minute, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to actually have the chance to chat with you. So, uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah,
1: um, well, there's, there was at one point where I didn't think I'd be chatting to anyone again. So, yeah, I'm really thankful and grateful to be here.
0: I'm sure there's a lot of people in certainly in, if people read the triathlon press, then I'm sure a lot of people will have heard your name, um, and maybe they can't recall why they've heard of you um many people might have known you know know of you for your triathlon results um you know a couple of years ago you were racing at the very front end of the elite age group waves um but then unfortunately you had this accident in scotland so um maybe tell us your story just just before that please and then and then we can sort of um talk about the accident and give some context to everything
1: yeah sure so i I started in triathlon Um, I think it was around 2016, um, and I decided to do my first Ironman just to raise a bit of money for charity, um, have a bit of fun. Um, And that was out in Austria in 2016. Once I'd done that, like everybody else that does their first triathlon race, you just instantly get hooked um, into the sport, and it's just snowballed from there, really. Um, I think I've competed in eight or nine full-distance Ironman races now, um, had some decent results as well, like you said, at the elite age group end of the of the of the race. Um, and I've just fallen in love with the sport. So um, yeah, since the first race up to my last race, I did yeah, it, it's been great. It's
0: uh, it, it's very difficult not to fall in love with triathlon when you go to Klagenvert and do Ironman Austria, isn't it? That's one of my favourite courses. And I, I was actually there in 2016. Um, I had oh, to cool. I had to do that race um in order to maintain my legacy streak to go to Kona the next year. Uh-huh. Um, and uh in um about actually about this time, just a few days after Christmas in 2015, I had a I had a bike crash um and broke my collarbone and uh um broke five ribs and spent the night in hospital with a suspected punctured lung and concussion and everything. Um fortunately those last two um they were just precautionary. But uh, yeah, then I had a race against time to get back ready to do Ironman Austria. But it, I, I just love it. I can't recommend that race highly enough if people are into it. Ironman. It's just such a beautiful place, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Beautiful course. And swimming in that, in the, in the lake there is, yeah, It's yeah, it's magical.
0: You'd have, um, you'd have been passing me probably. I'd have probably been going out on my first lap as you were coming back down um, towards the finish line, hearing Paul Kay in the distance, calling everybody across the line. Um, <laughs> what What was your time on that day? Uh, I was nine
1: thirty something.
0: Oh yeah, you were well, you were well ahead of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how, how many have you done? How many races have you done?
0: Uh, iron distance, but not all Ironman, but Iron distance, including things like the Norseman and the Inferno in Switzerland. Um, about twenty now. I've, I gave up. I gave up counting after a while, I, and when I did Kona. Um, that's that was sort of the the big one for me, and so I, I, I sort of lost enthusiasm for long distance racing after that. I felt like I'd done yeah. everything I wanted to do. Yeah. So you went to Corona
1: 2017, was it? Yes. Oh, okay, so yeah, year before me.
0: Yeah, but you know, I didn't qualify. Not not by time anyway. I qualified by amassing a group, a load of loyalty points <laughs> on, my, on my got my loyalty card stamped enough to get there.
1: Yeah, so you got there. That's that's the main thing.
0: Yeah, I did. And uh, I had a great day out. I enjoyed every minute of it. So, uh, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I go to Kona a lot for work and so I, I sort of, yeah, it's got a special place in my heart, really. Um, maybe we could talk about the, the current shenanigans who world triathlon at the end. Mm. Um, <laughs> okay. So you were, you were getting quite a lot of, um, press time and air time with your, um, with your, uh, results and everything. And, uh, actually I, I think, um, you're sponsored or you were sponsored by race skin weren't you so um colin had mentioned to me a, a few years ago about maybe getting you on the podcast and uh, mm. um we never got it together i don't think um and so here we are now but in between then you had this uh event in scotland that you went to is that right aberfeldy
1: aberfeldy yeah middle distance it was the
0: yeah. british championships yeah and that—I mean, Aberfeld is a long-established race, isn't it? It's been going a, a yeah. fair few years now, so it's not like it's a new race. And it was an unproven course.
1: No, no, it's it's a very technical and tough course as well, um, which is why I wanted to go and, and race there because I I enjoy that kind of element to races. So mm-hmm. that was the reason I went there. Yeah.
0: Mm. So, what can you remember about that day? I mean, so you went there. What, mm-hmm. what was your what were your expectations of the race as you went up there? To be honest,
1: I, I go into every race just to race as hard and as fast as I can. I don't really have any big expectations. Um, so I just wanted to, I, I like traveling around the world,
0: uh, experiencing different courses.
1: Mm-hmm. And that, that was one course that stuck out to me. So that's the reason
0: I went there. Yeah, yeah, I call that triathlon tourism. It's it's the thing <laughs> that I um, realized uh, right at the start of my career triathlon career which goes back a long way that you could go to some great places that you wouldn't normally be on your holiday list and see some fantastic parts of the world all and and ride around some amazing parts as well places you might not normally go riding um definitely yeah so okay so you you went to scotland so it's a long way you're you're in south wales are you south wales yeah so that's that's a long journey in itself to get up there
1: yeah nine hour drive i think right okay we were debating whether to go or not as well to be honest and obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing and I wish I hadn't ever have gone there, but yeah, we decided to make the trip, um, make a bit of a sort of a holiday of it as well. Um, and yeah, do the race and, you know, spend a few days up there afterwards.
0: Just you and your wife?
1: Just me and the wife. Yeah. And, and the dog as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, do, do you remember anything about that day at all? Um, Initially,
1: I didn't remember much from the race. Over time, my memory sort of come back a little bit. So mm. up to this point, I remember the whole swim, um, and we getting in the water, the you know, getting ready the, uh, before the race. The last point of my memory is when I actually get onto the bike. So I mount onto the bike, and that's where my memory stops. Um, and I crashed at around mile 50, 52, um the whole of that that 50 52 miles is there's no memory whatsoever mm. um so th- that's the only sort of memory i have left now at the moment yeah
0: i'm trying to remember back What Was the weather particularly bad that weekend
1: yeah it okay. was it was it was raining the road surfaces were quite wet and slippery so right. yeah, the conditions were quite bad
0: okay and have you been back to the? Have you been back to Aberfeldy since? Have you have you been able to? Have you been able to go back to the place where you had the accident and talk to any of the first responders or anybody who might have seen what happened?
1: Yeah, I went back up. Um, it was actually a year to the date that I actually crashed, so I went back up and the Aberfeldy race was on that. I think the day before, but um, the, the the day that I was there as well. So I went back to the crash site. I drove the bike course again to see if it sort of re any of my memory, um, went back to the crash site to see where I actually crashed. And I I still can't really get my head around how it happened because the area that I crashed, it was quite a flat section of road. Um, it, I don't know if you've been up to Aberfeldy before to, to no. do the race, but um, it's like sort of like a flat section of road and then there's a very technical steep descent back into transition. Um, and I was just before that steep descent. I landed on a grass verge, so not as if it was a hard surface. Um, but as far as bringing back any kind of memory from from that, which is what I hoped would happen, nothing at all. It was um, that that was it.
0: And there was nobody around you at the time that that um, was a was a witness no, to that.
1: No witnesses or anything like that. There was a marshal, maybe a couple of hundred meters away, but he was around the corner, so he didn't see anything. There were no other athletes around me either. So yeah, unfortunately no one was there to to witness what happened.
0: Wow. And what, what was it like for you to go back then? I mean, was it was it quite emotional? Was it was it um did it turn out to be a cathartic experience for you, something that's helped you to get over the sort of the trauma that you've had?
1: Yeah, it it was it was quite emotional um to go back and to to see the area that I crashed and so I could sort of picture myself lying there on the grass. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was quite emotional but I felt as if i had to go back to because mm. it's such a long way as well I don't think I'd ever go back there again so I wanted to go back just once just to see if would if i could get sort of any memory back um mm. and just to have a bit of closure i, I think um mm-hmm. from the situation um and that and that has helped I can sort of put that to bed now and I don't think the memory's going to come back. Um, if it does, if it's a bonus. If it doesn't, then then so be it. But I've got the closure now from from going back there.
0: So you 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 crashed. You were on the grass verge. Were you were you conscious then? No, uh, I, I was unconscious. Right, and and so at what point did you regain consciousness? Um,
1: I think it was in the hospital. Um, to, to be honest, I don't I don't remember anything from that point up until about four weeks after the crash right for yeah. so wow. my memory from that point up to four weeks post post crash there's not much memory there at all mm-hmm. um but yeah that an ambulance was called obviously I had CPR at the scene of the accident um I'm very lucky that there was an athlete maybe 40 to 60 seconds behind me and he was the first athlete on on the scene he obviously saw me lying on the side of the road um um well thankfully and luckily he stopped um and called for help uh and i actually i've actually spoken to that athlete i tried to sort of track him down to see if i could speak to him to get a bit more information from him um and he's he's a lovely chap he's a sort of a, a good elite athlete as well himself mm-hmm. um and it was quite emotional and difficult speaking to him and getting his perspective of what happened and how I was lying and what I looked like and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that was quite difficult, but I'm glad again that I was able to to speak to that guy um, to get his information. Yeah.
0: You've not mentioned his name. Is there a reason for that? Has he asked you not to talk about it? He hasn't asked me not to, but I don't
1: want to mention his name just in
0: case he doesn't want me to. Okay. That's that's a fair point. Yeah. 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 How did that affect him? as well cuz I can imagine okay. that you know if you're riding along and you're in a race and you're focusing on and you see somebody lying by the side of the road there's clearly another competitor that that's tra- quite traumatic for the for that person involved as well
1: De- definitely and I didn't really I didn't really think of that of how he would be feeling mm. but I think it hit him quite hard um, yeah. he decided he told me on the phone up and he said he decided that was it he didn't want to be involved in triathlon anymore
0: really so, wow, yeah, wow. He
1: stopped competing Um, And obviously, it's very traumatic for him seeing me lying there on the side of the road. He said that my face was completely blue. I was foaming at the mouth, Um, very weak pulse. I wasn't breathing. So it's obviously going to be very traumatic for him. And I didn't really sort of think of how he would be feeling. Um, But yeah, I got all all that information from him. And obviously, I thanked him for being there and saving my life.
0: So the C did he do the CPR then, or was that the um, was that the paramedics?
1: No, there was um again, right place, right time. There was a another gentleman who was involved in the race. He he actually had a crash himself, so he was out of the race and he was pushing his bike back to transition. Oh. Um, he came across. I think he was second on the scene, um, but he was a doctor. Oh. Um yeah, I mean, I I couldn't be well. I say lucky. I was very unlucky with what happened, but I was very lucky that he was there as well. Mm. So he administered CPR when when he got there.
0: So you, and so the the fact that you stopped breathing at that point was that because you broken your neck, or was that because she had severe chest injuries, or was it just was it just the sort of the shock of the and the trauma of the actual crash?
1: I'm not sure the reason I stopped breathing. It was probably because I broke my neck, and it was because it was such a high break. Um, mm-hmm. it affected yeah it affected my breathing mm.
0: Wow it's amazing how many times you hear that isn't it that the the first or second person on the scene of an accident is um, either has that sort of training or is a doctor and you know is, is able to just identify what it, what it is needed to keep somebody alive at that point it's oh,
1: definitely yeah and, um, and when I went back up to Scotland um to see the crash i I, I met him as well I met the doctor that, that gave me the CPR. Um, and again, that was very traumatic and very emotional speaking to him. I'm sure because he said to me actually when I got there, um, when I went into the ambulance, he he said he thought that that was that was it. I would, I was going to die in the ambulance. He didn't think I'd make it to the hospital wow. alive. So yeah, that was obviously quite difficult to to mm-hmm. hear. And because he's a doctor, obviously he knows what he's talking about. So yeah, that was that was very difficult.
0: Wow, so um what can you can you just outline what injuries you suffered then you mentioned the broken neck?
1: Yeah, so I broke two bones in my neck, my C1 and C2 vertebrae, wow. um, which is obviously well the highest two vertebrae you've got in your neck. Mm. Um, and I also broke two bones in my back, my L1 and L2. Um, and to be honest that well obviously I damaged my spinal cord as well. Um, but those were the only, I say the only, they're quite severe injuries, but those were the only internal injuries that I had. Mm-hmm. Externally, there wasn't a scratch on me, nothing at all. Oh. Um, which, yeah, the, the the brunt of the the impact has been right sort of smack on the top of my head. Um, I've hyperextended my neck and just crushed. Actually, my C2 vertebrae was completely disintegrated. It just crushed into thousands of pieces. Um, so, yeah, severe injuries.
0: Wow. So um, ambulance to hospital, not not, heli- not yeah. a helicopter or anything?
1: No, ambulance to hospital. Um, they were going to take me to Perth Hospital, which was closer, but I don't think that hospital is big enough and I don't think they've got the um, the expert consultants that they that they needed for the, for the injuries that I sustained so I went to Dundee hospital mm-hmm. um, but actually another thing as well was one of the consultants from Dundee drove out to meet the ambulance mm-hmm. uh, to, to intubate me because if he hadn't had come out to do that and they needed a specialist doctor to do it then I wouldn't have survived so they had to send a consultant out to meet the ambulance as well which is another another you know uh, back to the page
0: yeah yeah I think I think one of the things we learned about the pandemic wasn't it that intubating people is a very specialist job it's not something that you can just uh, there's, there's, give you a tube and um, yeah. a, a little bit of instruction over the phone and you can do it you need to be uh, you need to be highly trained
1: yeah definitely yeah and I'm, I'm very lucky and thankful that that, that mm-hmm. gentleman came out to do that for me
0: Okay, so you go to Dundee. Um, obviously, your wife's up there and the dog, so they've got to they've got to find them at the race and then take them along there. That must have been traumatic for them to sort of expecting you back and then now finding that you've got to uh, they've got to go to the hospital and probably not knowing how you were at that point.
1: Well, the, 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 she was. My wife was actually told by I don't know if it was the race director or somebody to do with the race that I'd had an accident. I'd sustained um, some sort of injuries, but. Um, They weren't life-threatening injuries. It wasn't serious. So just take your time going there um, and yeah, see him when you get there. And obviously when my wife got there, she found out the extent of my injuries and how severe they were. um, And yeah, she just just
0: broke down. Mm. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I, I I remember being at a race myself once. When uh, in fact, it's my physio who I've just been to see. I, I was called to uh, the medical centre to accompany her to hospital. Um, I'd I'd been nominated as her sort of uh, connecting point in on the island in in Lanzarote, and uh, um, yeah, when it, it is traumatic, you know, when you don't really know what's going on, and particularly yeah. if you don't speak the same language either. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay so then so then you get to hospital so you, you don't remember anything so what have they told you about those four weeks and what happened we were they just we just on a life support then for for a while
1: yeah so they, they put me into uh an induced coma um i was in a coma for i think it was about five or six days um and then they i managed to get out of the coma um but they thought I had a, a brain injury as well to go along with with the spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. So I had sort of a, a metal uh, bolt put into the side of my head to relieve the pressure on the brain. Um, luckily, that wasn't as bad as they first expected. So they sort of wrote that off and I was fine. I don't have any sort of um, injuries to the brain at all. Um, and My memory's absolutely fine. And uh, you know, I remember everything from the past and and everything that I've done up, up to that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then it was just a case of lying in a hospital bed um, and just, just trying to recover um, the best I could. Uh, the other thing as well they thought I had was uh, something called locked-in syndrome, um, and that's basically... You know everything that's going on around you, um, and you can hear everything and what everybody's saying, but you've got no way of responding or no way of communicating with anyone. Um, so that was obviously very scary for my for my wife and my the rest of my family. Um, but again, that that wasn't the case, um, and, and I was very lucky that that wasn't.
0: Yeah, there was a there was. A, I remember the Hollywood did a film about locked in syndrome, didn't they? I can't remember what it was oh, yeah. called, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't. I don't think I ever watched it. I watched bits of it. It wasn't very nice because, like you say, there's just lots of bodies there lying in hospital that yeah. know what's going on, but they 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 can't move and communicate. Yeah. Um. So yeah. How, how long how long did you spend in Dundee then? Because obviously it's such a long way from home, uh, it must have been difficult for friends or family to come and visit you. Yeah, it
1: was. Yeah, I I was in Dundee for. I think it was four weeks in intensive care. Um, I had obviously my immediate family came up to to be with me at my bedside because they had said that I probably wasn't going to last the night. Um, mm. So my family had to come up to basically to, to say, say their goodbyes, um, mm. which was obviously very scary and very mm. traumatic for them. Um, but I was there for four weeks. My my best mate came up as well to see me. Um so yeah, it was nice that all my family got together and they were able to to, to come together to see me at that that point. Um, but yeah, I was there for four weeks and then I was airlifted with the air ambulance down to Cardiff, and I spent uh, a bit of time then in in the intensive care in Cardiff.
0: So what about your wife? Did she have to? Did she have to stay in Dundee all that time?
1: Yeah, she stayed there the whole time. Yeah, yeah.
0: She, I mean, those those little things, you know, unless somebody's given her a room to stay in. Uh, you know you forget about those sort of inconveniences and well anybody would do it if it was a lovely one but still it's not what you've prepared for is it when you go when you take your suitcase and go away for a weekend
1: no definitely not and obviously we were staying in um, a lodge maybe 30 or 40 minutes away from the race start Um but my wife came to Dundee and all our belongings were in this lodge um, that we were staying in so I had to get family members to go to the lodge to to collect my belongings, mm. but we were very. My family were very lucky as well that there was um, a woman who was a man, the manager in the Staybridge um, Suites in in Dundee, and you know she allowed them to stay there as long as they needed. Really, um, so we're, we're very lucky that there's so some nice people out there um, and generous mm. people out there that you know go out of their way to to help you. So that that was really nice.
0: Okay. So just, um, was it 2020? It was 2020 when you had this accident, was it? Or 2021? 2021. 2021. Okay. So what it's about, um, it's not 18 months then yet, is it?
1: Not yet. No. 16
0: months. Yeah. 16,
1: Yeah. 16 months. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, um, you, you go back to Cardiff. You're on life support, and so what I've seen the video of you where you you sort of telling everybody you're lying in the hospital bed. You've got your halo on, you've got the bolts in your head, um, and you you, you obviously you, you, um it's it's quite subdued as you'd expect, and you're just explaining to everybody what the situation is and thanking everybody for their yeah. support. So, um, once you'd come round and you started realizing where you were and um processing the accident, and um, at what point did they tell you about the long-term prognosis or at least what they thought it would be then? So f-
1: personally for me, what, when they they told me, I remember I was still actually still in Dundee um, at that point. Um, and they said, obviously the extent of my injuries, um, I damaged my spinal cord. I didn't really understand what that meant or um, f- physically for my body. Um, so when they went into the detail of you know, what I was going to be like um, long term, it was the scariest thing like I've ever heard in my life. Um, for somebody to tell you you've damaged your spinal cord, you're paralysed from the neck down, mm. you haven't got any movement, and then you sort of look down at your own body and try to move an arm or try to move a leg, and nothing happens. Uh. This, this, yeah, it was the scariest time um, I think I'll ever, I ever have in my life. Um, so that that was that was quite hard to take um but the the long there wasn't really a, a short term or long term prognosis there was just a prognosis and they said that you may get a little bit of movement back in your arms you you'll never walk again you're never going to be able to move your legs um and obviously they're going to say things maybe a bit more severe than uh, than they should just because if they said to me, yeah, you're going to be up and walking in the future and that doesn't happen, it would give me a false sense of, mm. of hope, I guess. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just a scary time to to hear those words come out of the, of the doctor's mouth.
0: Yeah, um, I don't think any of us, you know, there won't be many people listening that have ever um, been around somebody or, or actually received that sort of news themselves. But, but when you do get that news, are you thinking, well, I'm, you know, they're telling me I'm lucky to be alive that I died and they re- revived me and they gave me CPR or is there a lot of self-pity and, and you know, and anger and um, feeling that the world's not fair? You know, I, I just wouldn't, I, I can't even contemplate what, what might've been going through your mind or is it just a mixture of all of those things of um, happiness that you're still alive and then, you know, wishing you weren't because, because life's not going to be the same.
1: Yeah. It's, it is, is exactly that really it's a mixture of both. Um, there were points where, I was obviously happy to be alive. I was able to see my wife and my family again. Mm. Um, but then, to be honest, most of the time it was a case of just turn the machine off, just just let me die because I don't want to live like this. Mm. Um, and I'd say that was probably 90% of the time. Wow. Um, and until my wife came in to see me or my family came in to see me, that was the, the 10% time where I thought, actually, it is good to be alive. Um, but I didn't want to live like that. Um, mm. um yeah, so that it, it was, it was just a hard
0: time. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: Wow. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about the care you received then. We, you, uh, you're in NHS, NHS hospital, obviously in Dundee, and then they moved you down to Cardiff, um, intensive care. At, at what point did they start realizing that you weren't, you, you, yeah, obviously you were going to, you're going to be able to stay alive and, and breathe for yourself. Or, or could you breathe for yourself? I mean, I guess if, you, if you've if you got a C1 fracture, that's about the highest you can get. And that means that the, the nerves to the lungs aren't functioning particularly well. So did you have to use it? Were you on a ventilator all that time?
1: Yeah, I was, on, I was ventilated, yeah. So I had a tracheostomy fitted in Cardiff um, and I was on that tracheostomy for, I think it was about four weeks um, I was on the ventilator for. And you the process is, you, they sort of slowly wean you off the ventilator um a very small um very small chunks. Um the scariest time for that was trying to come off the ventilator during the night because obviously you're uh, you're asleep. Um mm-hmm. and it's that scary moment where you think I'm gonna fall asleep if I can't breathe myself. What happens? Um so that was a scary point. But luckily and very luckily I was able to to wean myself off that ventilator. Um and start breathing for myself again which was a huge relief um and a, a massive turning point in the whole process because if i wasn't able to do that then i would have had to have 24 hour care um which would have mean you know two or three carers living in the, in my home with me to to monitor that ventilator mm-hmm. so that was a, that was a huge turning point um in in this process
0: and i suppose if you were able to breathe for yourself that would mean that you the then the spinal cord around your C1 vertebra was actually intact and still functioning then, I guess. So did that give you hope as well? Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I had what's called uh, an incomplete spinal cord injury. So Mm -hmm. the spinal cord was damaged, but it wasn't severed. If that um, spinal cord was severed at the point of my injury, then I wouldn't have had any chance of being able to breathe myself again. I'd have had to be on that ventilator for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would have uh, would have meant as well that i wouldn't have gained any movement in my body if that spinal cord was severed so again i'm very lucky that that wasn't the case um, and it was only partially damaged um but still it's obviously affected um well it's affected everything but um yeah just again very lucky
0: so and what about you said that a c2 vertebra was was just smashed a bit so what what's what did they do with repairing that then, or haven't they, or couldn't they?
1: Yeah, they, they had to uh, reconstruct that. So I've got a reconstructed vertebrae there. Um, I've also had a metal plate to put in the side of my neck um, to you know, fuse th- those bones together and mm-hmm. make them stable again. I had, Unfortunately, that plate didn't work, so that plate slipped, um, and it didn't do its job, hence why uh, you saw the video of me in the halo. Um, I was given an option actually of having another operation, which would have fused my bones in my neck in this position, Mm -hmm. which would have meant I wasn't able to turn my neck back and forth. So I'd have been fixed in this position. Um, that was one option or the second option was to have the halo. Um, obviously I I didn't want to be stuck, um, in a, a fused position for the rest of my life. So I took that option of, of having the halo.
0: Right. And so where are you with you, with your movement now in your neck? So the metal plate is on my
1: right side, so the movement to the right isn't great, mm-hmm. um, but movement to the left isn't too bad. It's not obviously normal, but I'm able to sort of turn my neck to, to look over my shoulder, mm. um, and up and down is is pretty normal, so that that's absolutely
0: fine. So how are you? Are you able to drive yet? Uh, I mean, we'll come on to that about your other movement in a moment, but I guess that would affect looking over your shoulder, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, it would, yeah. Um, I've actually got a driving assessment um, at the beginning of next month. So I say I'm looking forward to it. I'm not really looking forward to it, but it's something that I want to do just to see if I am able to drive again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many adaptations available now for vehicles, for, for everybody's needs. So mm-hmm. um, it's an option. So we'll, we'll see how the
0: driving assessment goes. Okay. So y- you've started breathing for yourself. Let's fast forward a little bit. Tell us where you are now, and then we can sort of go backwards and fill in how you got to this point. So, what what are your capabilities now?
1: So now, I'm what's happened with me is uh, my le- my right side is always affected a lot more than my left. So I've got function sort of in my my left hand, my left arm, um, my left leg is probably the strongest limb out of the four. Um, I it's, nothing is normal anymore. Um, but that is as as normal as it as it can be. Um, So I'm up and sort of walking around the house on my own uh, with an aid. I've got a crutch that I use. Um, The longer distances, I tend to go in a wheelchair just because it would just take me too long. Um, But I'm sort of building up that strength and building up that tolerance to um, be able to walk outside for longer distances. Um, But my right arm is, is the one that is sort of holding me back at the moment. I don't have a lot of room in the right arm at all um so that that's difficult and obviously you know you're doing your day-to-day tasks of getting dressed yourself and making Mm -hmm. food yourself and things like that it's really difficult doing that with one arm Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm getting stronger and stronger every day and I'm I'm working harder and harder every day so hopefully these things will uh, become easier the, the more I do
0: it have you have you got any movement like can you use your fingers can you grip at all uh
1: with my left hand i can i can open my hand up and i can grip things um with the right hand if i can sort of place the right hand onto something i can grip it Mm -hmm. um but it's you know using my left hand to move the right hand onto something uh to be able to do that um but there's 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 ways around it so um yeah just just keep trying new things and experimenting
0: with it is is that just nerve damage then um from from the from the yeah. vertebra fractures,
1: yeah. yeah, it is. Yes, it's just nerve damage. I mean, damaging the spinal cord is so complex. Um, and if two people had the same mm-hmm. level of injury, their mm-hmm. their capabilities can be completely different. Yeah. Um. So it's it's it is just luck of the draw. Uh, what happens really? Um. So yeah, it, this is what I've been I've been dealt with, and I've got to deal with it now
2: hmm
0: so uh let's go back then so you're breathing by yourself um at, at what point did you realize you could you'd you got some feeling or movement in your legs
1: um I think I was in I was in a place called Rockwood in uh in Cardiff and it's a spinal rehabilitation center um and I remember sitting in my wheelchair and I was able to... You know, when you're sort of like sitting on a leg extension machine and you Mm -hmm. can push your legs up and down. I was able to do that with my legs. Um, The first bit of movement I had, there was in Dundee. No, not in Dundee, sorry, in Cardiff Intensive Care. I had a little bit of movement in my left foot, Um, but it just gets stronger and stronger and more uh, parts of your body are able to move. Um, but again it's luck of the draw what what body parts you are able to move mm-hmm. um so you have just got to sort of experiment with it really
0: wow so those times when you can start breathing that you get some movement in your leg you know those must been those must have been times of absolute joy and elation for all of you
1: oh milestones they were they were they were huge um yeah even the the smallest of things like moving um like your, your your thumb on your right hand or um, mm-hmm. your, your big toe on your left foot little things like that are just huge um and then even standing up on your own or I, I think i put a post on instagram of um i was standing in uh in between parallel bars and i had four or five physios around me um and i was standing up and i was holding onto the bars each side and it was the first time I stood on my own without any support. Um, so I self-supported. And you could see the the beaming smile on my face just from doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it to the average person, it's just standing up, but for me, it was absolutely huge. And um, I just broke down in tears after that just because I did it. Um, so yeah, that that was that was a, a big step for me.
0: I can imagine the intensity of the effort involved in standing up as well. You'd have been drenched in sweat and you'd have been absolutely exhausted and probably slept pretty well at that evening.
1: Yeah, the the, the little little things um, just take so much out of you. And even today, um, you know, walking around the house or doing a little bit of exercise, it takes a huge amount of effort. Um, and the recovery is obviously a lot longer for, for doing things like that as well. Mm. So... Um, but again it's, it's building up a tolerance to it and i'm treating this the same way as i would treat any triathlon training mm-hmm. um and I, I, that's the way i look at it now i'm training every day um but i'm training for a different goal mm-hmm. um and i think that's that that's a, the athlete in me and that's what i've always done throughout my life is, is train and, and work hard and aim for a goal or a target and that's exactly what i'm doing now
0: and I'm sure the fact that you were so fit at the time and strong has, has also been a part of your survival and recovery as well, hasn't it? Uh, as Along with that sort of um, whatever sort of mindset, stoic, um, grit grit, determination type of mindset.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, the, the doctors actually said to me, if I wasn't as fit as I was, then I wouldn't have survived. Um, I was just very lucky that I had a big lung capacity, um, a good strong heart. Mm. Um, and yeah if, if it wasn't for how fit I was then I wouldn't have survived that accident
0: I think we all take for granted don't we as, as triathletes I'm sure you'd have been there before and and I, I can definitely recognize that in myself and didn't probably just about all the athletes I've coached over the years that we get frustrated because we're not getting faster in the pool that we can't we can't get hold of this new technique that we uh, there's always some person that beats us in a race and you know you train harder than them and why, why are they so much fitter and you know, it's it's natural to be focused on those. But when something like this happens and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be this serious, it does t- it does reset all of our um, processes, I think. And, and also our gratitude and our gratefulness, which I think sometimes we overlook. Uh, uh, can you explain some of the things that have changed in your outlook on life as a result of this accident?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm just so grateful now for, that I'm able to do really little things like, Pick up a glass or pick up a coffee cup and have a drink, Um, and those are the things I really took for granted before. Um, And it's not until I had this accident that I realise now that you do take things for granted. Mm. And I'm, 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 I'm I'm very. It's 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 quite hard to explain, but I'm a lot more grateful now for for the things that I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas before, I probably wasn't as grateful as I should have been. Um, but I've got a new outlook on life now. And I think, obviously, it's affected me physically um, from, from the ex- extent of the injuries that I have. But mentally, I feel I'm a lot stronger now from having this accident. I mean, don't get me wrong, I get my down days and you go through sort of dark spells and patches. And even today, I... I feel sometimes that I don't want to be alive and I don't want to be here Mm -hmm. um, because life is really difficult at the moment. um, And I've never experienced anything like this before, but this is my life and this is what I've got to deal with now Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. So you're going to have those dark spells and dark patches, um, but I've, I've got to look back to see how far I've come and Mm -hmm. what it could have been like. um, And that's sort of spurs me on and, and gives me the strength that I need to, to keep pushing, keep progressing to where I'd like to be in life.
0: It, yeah, it's, it is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? That no matter how bad things are, there's you could probably always look around and find somebody who's worse off than you are. And I, I mean, and I, I don't think anybody listening would go, well, I don't know anybody that's worse off than Nathan. But, you know, there there's, there usually is somebody that's worse off. Um, and I, I, I really admire and, and like that bit you say about rather than, rather than trying to focus on Nathan version one. it's This is Nathan version two. I can't go back, but I, I need to see how far I've come. I need to see how far up the mountain I've climbed rather than how far I've got to go. There's,
1: there's, oh, trust me, there's definitely a lot more people worse off than me. Um, and I've experienced that firsthand, being in hospital with um, patients in, in similar situations mm. um, and worse situations. So there's always somebody worse off than you. Um, but you've just got to focus on yourself. Um, and that's the one thing that s- still to this day I'm really struggling with is I'm comparing my life now to what it mm-hmm. used to be like. Yeah. Um, and I've got to try and get out of that habit because the life that I had before is never going to be the life that I'm going to mm-hmm. have now again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to sort of try and forget about that life and move on to this life and, and try and focus on on what I can do and what I'm able to do in this life
0: yeah and it would be easy to to say look at the Paralympians and say well look at all, a lot of those people there they've they've been injured in horrendous accidents like yours they've been victims in war they've been victims of bombings you know they've lost limbs they've got on they've won gold medals you know it, you know if you put your mind to it you can do it that's their situation you're living in your situation and you can only deal with your situation and your mindset and just because those folks are competing again it doesn't mean they don't have those dark moments and they haven't been through that and they don't still get them you know everybody everybody's got challenges to deal with haven't they
1: yeah definitely everybody's got challenges even um able-bodied people have challenges Mm. um maybe not physical physical challenges but i mean depression is is a huge part of Mm. um a lot of people's lives and and that's a big challenge that people have got to overcome so um yeah everyone has their own challenges I've certainly got my challenges, um, and I'm going to have challenges for, 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 the rest of my life. Um, but I've, like I've said before, I, I love having a challenge. Um, that's what I thrive on. Um, and that's what makes me work harder and, and aim mm-hmm. for goals and targets. So, um, obviously this is the biggest challenge I'm, I'm ever going to have, mm-hmm. um, taking away all the challenges from triathlon, this tops every, every single one of them, um, but I'm, I'm never one to turn down a challenge and uh, yeah, I'm going to gonna overcome this one.
0: What about support in helping you get over this? Nathan? obviously there's your wife and, and your friends and your family. Did Have you had any support in terms of psychological help? Do you, do you have a counselor now or somebody that you meet and speak with at regular intervals or, or who's there available for you if you're going through some of these dark moments?
1: Um, so I had um, somebody I was speaking to when I was in hospital um, and that was when I was in intensive care and um, polytrauma. But since that time, I haven't had a counsellor or any anyone to speak to. But that's by choice. That's my choice. Um, I haven't really felt that I've needed it yet. My wife actually is trying to convince me to, to speak to somebody or go to see somebody professional um, to speak to, but... I just don't feel comfortable at this moment and I don't feel ready to do that. So, um, I mean, I've got a great support network around me, family and friends. Um, my wife is my, my biggest, um, you know, the, the person that I can always go and speak to if I need to. Um, but like the triathlon community, people I don't know have sent messages of support. Um, um, yeah. It, it like if people if people are listening to this and they're not involved in triathlon um it's such a great sport and the mm. triathlon community will all come together and they'll all support you and encourage you to do things and um i'm very lucky that i'm i'm part of that community um and that's really really helped me mentally through through this whole whole process
0: i had a, a chap on uh, a few weeks ago who um had set himself the challenge of doing 52 triathlons uh, across the year. So effectively one every week. And, you know, it's not like the same as the Iron Cowboy doing a hundred ironmans mm-hmm. in a hundred days. That's just ridiculously extreme. But still, um, trying to get yourself up to do a standard distance triathlon every week is 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 still pretty good going and all the things that might get in the way of that. And um he was raising money for charity and he had a few physical challenges that he had. Um and I was surprised when he told me that after the podcast we did, he'd had quite a few people reach out and offer donations, which had helped him to get wow. to the uh, um to the target. So that, uh, and I'm not I'm not doing this to, to uh, um, ask people to support you. Although obviously, if they want to, that's that's up to them. But what I'm what I'm trying to emphasise is exactly what I've just said that the triathlon community is a wonderful thing. It's not all about setting personal bests. You know, there's a group of like minded people that are willing to um, help out at times when they can a fellow triathlete that's in need
1: yeah definitely um and not just your average triathlete i've had messages from a lot of famous professional triathletes and that's really encouraging and mm. um yeah it, it that just spurs me on even more um but but messages from people all over the world um and the the local triathlon community especially i have messages from people um that i know that i've trained with, they've raced against Um, And I don't think they realize how much that helps me um, because my worry was that because I'm not involved in triathlon as an athlete anymore, that I'm sort of going to be forgotten um, and people are going to, you know, Mm. forget that Nathan Ford just ever exists. But that doesn't seem the case at the moment. I'm still getting messages from people um, to say how well I'm doing and words of encouragement. And that, that goes a long, long way.
0: I mean, part of that's your identity as well, isn't it? it, You know, you you were Nathan Ford, the triathlete. And I guess if you aren't able to do triathlons anymore, then in your own head, you're no longer Nathan Ford, the triathlete. But um, I think probably from what we've talked about here, and I know you've got your NFT coaching business as well, um, you've still got a big role to play in triathlon. It's just redefining yourself a little bit. And uh, the comeback that you've made is, is is absolutely phenomenal. You know, I know you say, well, I've had some luck here and there because the, the way my injuries fall, but there's a, there's a huge amount of hard work and determination that's gone into that, um, getting your recovery to this point. And I'm sure that's going to continue as well. So um, I, I don't see any reason why people would forget who you are, Nathan. Yeah, I mean...
1: Um... I'm very lucky that I'm still involved in triathlon, not as an athlete anymore, but I'm still involved as a coach, mm. Um and I've got a, a great team around me. So I'm very thankful that I'm, I'm still still involved in triathlon in some sort of way. Mm. Um, because, like I said before, it's a great sport and it's a good sport to be involved in. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that.
0: I, I know you said that you didn't feel like you were in a place yet where you would need some uh, sort of almost like official, formal psychological support. Uh, have you? have you made contact with anybody else that's recovered from a huge trauma or have they reached out to you just to, just to sort of chat about things?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that started when I was in intensive care, I reached out or people reached out to me, but I reached out to people as well um, that have been in similar situations, sporting accidents um, and people that are a lot further along than me that Mm. they had their accident or injury, you know, five or six years ago. Um, and that really helped because I felt that they sort of understood Mm. how I was feeling at that time because they'd been through it themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, it's all well and good speaking to, um, like a professional, um, therapist or or whatever, but they, I I don't feel from my point of view anyway, that they sort of understand how I'm feeling because they haven't been through it themselves. Um, so speaking to people, um, I mean, people like David Smith, um, and Ben Pritchard, a, a local um, uh, athlete that has been through a, a life changing injury, it was really helpful and really mm. uh, I was really grateful to to speak to them to to get their point of view and and, and advice from them as well.
0: Mm. Now you were, uh, I know you you mentioned it in the uh, little chat we had before we started the podcast, and you, you touched on it there about the support you'd had from the triathlon community. I know that people set up all sorts of um, fundraising. Uh, activities for you didn't you can you can you outline a few of those and uh, and what they did
1: oh I, I mean there, there was so many challenges um and events put on um in support of me I honestly couldn't uh, I couldn't even name them all because there was that many but um there was there was local events um local companies that are fundraised my wife set up a, a GoFundMe page right probably two or three days after my accident um, and the local triathlon community and the global triathlon community all came together um, and kindly donated to this page. Um, that has allowed me to try to get my life back. Um, without that fundraising and without that support, there's no way in the world I would be uh, where I am today. Mm-hmm. So I've got everybody who's donated and put on these challenges and and events in support of me and all the fundraising i've got to thank them honestly from the bottom of my heart because um without their you know kindness um i, I wouldn't be sitting here today I, I i'd probably still be in hospital um so i'm so thankful and grateful for for everybody who's um been been supportive towards me Yeah.
0: Give us an idea of what your day looks like now then. You said you were training hard. Uh, how much training, when you were training for triathlon, how much training did you used to get through each day on average?
1: Um, as, a, as an athlete, I was probably training maybe sort of two to three hours a day. Um, now, it obviously, is, well, I, I say it's not. It, it probably is at the moment. I'm in, in an intensive training block um, in in Bristol, so it's a specialist um, spinal rehabilitation centre, um, and I'm doing sort of three to four hours of physio a day, um, and that's four to five days a week. Um, that's a private centre, so the money that has been fundraised um, in support of me, that's what the money is being used for at the moment. Um, and I'm seeing huge, huge progress from from being in that centre, um, and even when. I'm not there and I'm not doing the, the rehab with the, with the professionals.
2: Mm.
1: When I'm at home, I'm doing as much as I can. Um, I've got uh, sort of dumbbells and kettlebells and, um, you know, wow. equipment like that that I can do in my in my own time. Um, and I, I always love training. I, I always liked training as an athlete more than I did racing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've taken that forward and I, I'm st- I still enjoy training today. Obviously, it's a bit different to what it used to be. Um, but yeah, I, I, try to adapt things and, um, you know, take on new challenges and, um, when I'm, when I'm doing my own rehab, so it's, it's going really well.
0: Uh, you said that you um, were treating your rehab like training. And I, that's something I always uh, ask people to try and do when they've, when they've had an, an injury or an operation or something is, you know, your rehab is your training. Now you might not be able to swim, bike and run at the moment, but you can do all this other stuff to get you back to that. Um, but most races uh, have a defined end, don't they? We're, we're going towards something and and then there's an opportunity for us to test out whether that training and preparation has been successful. I, I've got a sense that Nathan version two doesn't have an end in mind because you never expected to get this far. And so now you're pushing just to see how good you can get, if you like.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think there is ever going to be an end point. Um, I think... Well, I know actually that the rehab that I'm doing now is going to have to continue for the rest of my life. Um, And that is just to be as independent as I can on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that and I'm I'm okay with that because like I said, I I enjoy training and that's all I've done all my life. And that's all I envisage envisage to do for the rest of my life. So I'm going to carry on doing this rehab um, and, and I quite enjoy it. And I quite enjoy seeing the progress and, Um, seeing the little gains here and there that I'm making Mm. Um, and as as long as I'm going in the right direction I'll I'll work as hard as as I can and um, yeah just keep going and going.
0: Mm. Um, Let's just go back to those dark times Nathan because I know you know I think probably everybody has dark times or at least they think they're dark at the time being but um, how do you get yourself out of that when you when you when you're going through that downward spiral of why should I be here? Why should I care? You know, I don't really want to be here. How do you, how do you get yourself out of that particular state and start seeing some bright spots in there?
1: Um, it's difficult. Um, but I've just got to think of my family, um, think of my wife. And if I was to do anything stupid, then I'd be leaving behind. And I believe in behind my wife and my family. And it's not fair on them. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got to look sort of towards the future and try to be as positive as I can. Um, Like I said before, looking back of how far I've come, um, and I'm still only 16 months down the line, so I've still got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm still seeing progress. um, So that's a positive. So I've got to take the little positives. um, And it's really, really difficult because there are days where I'm sort of contemplating suicide. Um, and that's a that's a big thing to say but it's my reality mm-hmm. um, and it's really difficult but those days are getting sort of fewer and fewer now um, they're still cropping up and I think that they always will be but I've got to just remain positive and, and think of my family and think of mm-hmm. think of the future and you know how far I can get so um, yeah that, that, that's the way I'm gonna, gonna keep going
0: and what about triathlon? I mean, you, you mentioned that you're coaching people. Will will we see you at all at a, at a triathlon? Um, maybe not as a competitor, but will we see you there as a coach and and as a supporter or a volunteer? Do you think?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've the, the first. Um, I went to a tr- couple of triathlons actually this year. Um, we had Swansea seventy point three, which was the first one in Swansea Ironman. Um, so I went down to there and I supported the guys, like coach. Um, and all the other athletes that that live local. Um, that was a uh, that was a difficult time because if I knew I knew Swansea, I was actually lying in my hospital bed when they announced Swansea 70.3. It's my home city, it's where I've lived lived all my life. Um, and when they announced it, I was absolutely gutted because I knew I would never be able to compete there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went down to support, it was it was really difficult knowing that. I'm not able to be out there on the course with the guys, but I was with them sort of emotionally and mentally. Mm. Um, and although it was extremely tough to see everybody there, I'm I'm really glad that I did it, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, mm. And then I went down to Ironman Wales as well, where I competed twice as an athlete. And again, that was that was a great day, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed supporting everybody. So yeah, you'll see me at um, quite a few more events, I think, in the future.
0: I've, uh, Nathan, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. It's, you've been so open and and sharing and honest and, and frank, if you like, and um, maybe a bit brutal for some people, but I do. You know, it's it's courageous of you to come on and um talk about that. I, some of the things I've written down here, um, which have come out, which I think perhaps we all sort of need a reminder of from time to time. You know, gratitude, um, looking at how far you've come and the progress you made rather than where you were. Um, about community about the triathlon community about the value of family um, and about just help and support I think you know those are things that perhaps we don't immediately think of that enable us to do the things we do in the life but actually they're all there like in the background and it's only at times like this one when, when you realize how important they are
1: yeah yeah definitely um and um, I I, I, re- I realized before my accident that all these things are important but I didn't realize how important they were until I had the accident. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm in a very privileged position um, with family and friends that I've got around me and the support network. So I'm very, I'm very lucky and I'm very thankful for that. Um, and like I said, triathlon is such a great sport. Um, it's a, it's, it's quite a risky sport because it, it could, it can mm. be quite dangerous. Mm. Um, and I, I never want to put anybody off by, um, you know, say telling my story of, um, the accident that I had and the, the repercussions of what has happened. But I wouldn't want to put anyone off because it's such a great sport. Um, so I'd, I'd encourage anyone to sort of take up the sport of triathlon if they're thinking
2: mm.
0: of it. Mm. And there's risk in everything, isn't there, that we do? Yeah. There's risk crossing the road. You know, there's risk going down the stairs and not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, there's risk in everything. And it's about balancing out that, that risk versus the, the reward side of it yeah. as well, I think. And, and also, uh, you know, and I do, I do think perhaps – this is something that's worth saying is that there's when we're racing, it doesn't mean there isn't risk, but we can do a lot to, to minimize that risk as well by being um, mindful and conscien- or conscious of what exactly the decisions we're taking and that it, that it is just a race. It doesn't have a huge importance for most of us.
1: Yeah. And, and that that's one thing I realise now is that it's just a race at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but when I used to race, I used to go into it a hundred percent and I did used to take risks um, probably, I probably shouldn't have. Um, I don't think I took any risks in Scotland because of the the place where I landed and um, the area mm. that it was. But in, in races, um, previous races, I have taken risks and I have had like silly crashes and things, um, mm. which was a bit stupid of me. But I go into everything at 100%, so I, I don't really have any regrets.
0: Well, I'm glad to see that you're going into this at 100%, Nathan. It's, it's just... Mind-blowing to see the progress you made, given that given the initial diagnosis and prognosis. So, you know, hats off to everything you've achieved so far, and it'd be great to check back within with with you in a year's time and see what what progress you've made then, and look back and see where you were now, you know, and um, a lot of other stuff. So, uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. I I appreciate your openness and your honesty and and courage.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Yes, it's it's been good good to chat and. uh... Yeah, I hope people don't, um, It's it's been quite difficult to talk about some of the things we've talked about, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I said, I've enjoyed it, and uh, if I can help anyone um, that is in a similar situation or has been in a similar situation to myself, then I'm more than happy to talk to anyone, and if I can help anyone um, with anything, then yeah, that, that would be good.
0: Well, we'll put those uh, links into the show notes, Nathan, so that um, if, if somebody does want to reach out, they can do that. So once again, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank
1: you, Simon. Cheers.
0: Thank you again to Nathan for being such a great guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, there are links to a lot of the discussion topics in the show notes below. To make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to itunes search for high performance human triathlon podcast and click that subscribe button that's all for now so i hope you have a great week and i will definitely see you on the next episode